So we are uh, right in the middle of this, actually towards the end of this series called Misunderstood. Um, next week you get the pleasure of listening to Nathan. So he's going to bring bring the message next week, which will be awesome. Uh, you never know what Nathan's going to say, so make sure you come True. next week. And uh, <laughs> So that'll be an awesome day. Um, but uh, I thought today I had a, a message that I had talked and preached uh, a few years ago that was really the birthplace of the series that we're doing right now. And it was kind of like these, um, my kind of top five things that we hear oftentimes but we don't know is in the Bible. Or we think, is that in the Bible? Most of the time we think it is. And if it is, are we really understanding those, those things correctly? And so I'm going to share those five things with you this morning. But if you want to follow along, make sure that you uh, log on to your, your event. Okay? I don't think you can. I'm not able to save it, probably because of the time issue. But you can access it. Um, so if you want to save any notes that you're, you're uh, making today, you'll have to wake up at 10 p.m. tonight and... Uh, Save that. Of course, Pete's going to be awake. He doesn't go to bed till late. So, does it? It's not letting me save it. So, as long as you can save it, that's all I'm concerned about. I have the notes. That's good. So, I'm going to quickly go through these these five things, and I want you to kind of think about maybe make a couple of notes, jot a couple of things down, uh, maybe some things that you need to kind of think about because on the surface these things don't sound very important. Uh, but when you start getting underneath the surface, oftentimes when you start looking at the context of things, the full story, it really brings more meaning and more weight to it. So the first one basically is this phrase that we say, cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, how many mothers have said this over the years? Yeah, yeah, you said it. So if you want to be godly, you got to wash your hands before, te before tea, right? Cleanliness is next to godliness, and though we might think this statement was started by some discouraged mom who wanted to install her grimy children, you know, tell them the importance of a good scrub down uh, by making it a holy thing or a biblical thing, uh, it's actually attributed to an, an old rabbi um, who interpreted a couple of different passages into meaning that cleanliness is next to to godliness. John Wesley actually used the phrase, cleanliness is indeed next to godliness in one of his sermons. So he had he was portraying this idea that cleanliness and godliness go together. Now, although being clean is a healthy concept to follow, we want people to be clean, right? It's all good. Um, this statement is not a biblical statement. I think it it's, can be misunderstood. I don't think there's a passage that reads, seek first the kingdom of God and seek second some soap and water so you can get clean. I don't think it's, it's like that. Um, but it does appear in the scriptures in Matthew 15, 1 to 6, 17 to 20, and Luke 11, 37 to 38. I think that's in your notes there in your event. But those passages of scripture have this idea that, when Jesus had finished speaking, the Pharisees invited him to eat with them. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. 
They were surprised. And then the Lord Jesus said these words, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. So, it's cleanliness is next to godliness. If you're talking about inward cleanliness, then that's exactly what that means. But, Jesus is here saying that oftentimes we look at the outside of things and we don't ever look at the inside of things. The religious leaders were thinking being clean on the outside was an indicator of being clean on the inside. Is that right? Now we can portray ourselves any way we want, right? Clean, proper, dressed to the hilt, but our heart of hearts may not match what we're trying to portray on the outside. And that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't saying that being clean, clean is not important. He was just saying and clarifying that it wasn't ungodly if you ate without cleaning your hands. You know, he wasn't saying you, you know, have to clean your hands before you eat. He was, they were placing more importance on the wrong thing, paying more attention on being clean on the outside than on the inside. And we could be that way today, right? P placing more emphasis on looking good on the outside, what people see, than looking good on the inside, which is what people can't see. Like the religious leaders, we can go to great lengths to look clean, but all the while we are deceiving ourselves and others if we're neglecting the more important things, like having a pure heart. I'm reminded of this probably once every hour. Why? Because what is this? What's Facebook, Instagram all about? Yeah, it's all about how I want to look. The whole posing of the face, the whole how I want things to look behind me, the background, how I want people to see certain things and not see other th certain things about us. That's what. That's what. That those. Those things are kind of fostering or helping us to grow that part of ourself that Jesus says is not the most important part. The most important part is what's on the inside. And unfortunately, we don't have a social media that can show that necessarily unless you just stop posting pictures altogether and just share your heart online and just be, be open and just share what's, what's really, really important to you and what's really, really meaningful to you. And some people do, and that's great. Because that's giving people a glimpse of what's inside us. But we go to great lengths to look a certain way. So we can conclude that cleanliness is godliness when we have cleanliness on the inside. That's much more important. Okay, does that clarify number one? Great. Number two, God helps those who help themselves. I've heard this over and over. I don't know if you've heard that before. But this phrase is not in the Bible, anywhere. It's actually been attributed to Ben Franklin. He coined that phrase. It's understood to originate many years before Ben Franklin, but he repeated it and was most famous for saying it. And in a way, this is actually anti-biblical. So it's a very big misunderstood phrase. It's especially true when it comes to salvation. And we when we look at how we are saved in 
Matthew 19, 16 to 26. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I think it's in your notes. But it's an encounter that a rich man has with Jesus. You remember what happens? There's a very wealthy man who comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Um, what does Jesus, what's his reply? What's he say? Anybody have that on their in their heads? Yep, he says keep the commandments first, right? And then what does the, the young man say? I've kept the commandments. He was getting excited because he said, I've kept them even from a small boy. I'm a commandment keeper. I've done it. I'm great. And then he goes, Jesus says, oh, then go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me. That's pretty much the synopsis of that section of scripture. And what happens at that point? He goes away sad because he knows that he can't do that. That the riches, his possessions, all that stuff, all that material things, all those things really mean too much to him. In order to give those things up, it would be something he couldn't do. So he probably thought he was in he was in good since he kept all the commandments in the beginning. You know, he probably thought, "Oh yeah, I'm, I've got this." But when Jesus started focusing on what was his stumbling block, the thing that was keeping him from moving forward in his relationship with God, that's when things started to go awry, and he went away sad, probably because he wasn't being told. He was already doing everything he should. Perhaps the disciples were looking at that interaction. And they were going, this guy seemed like he was doing everything right, except just one thing, and he's not getting in? Wow, this is tough. They asked Jesus, well, if he did everything except for that one thing, how, do people, how are people saved? And Jesus highlights that it is impossible for a man to save himself. That's what this passage is all about. It's impossible for someone to do enough stuff to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's the point. Matter of fact, he's saying this rich young ruler, he was focused on the wrong thing. What his mind was saying is God is going to help me if I what? Help myself that's what he was thinking and Jesus says no that's not the way it is people have that same misconception today they think that they can help themselves work their way into heaven but there's only one there's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved and it's not our own it's Jesus he did everything because we could do nothing that's what we just remembered he did everything because we can do nothing. If I subscribe to God helps those who help themselves, then I have a pride problem. And that's what Jesus was probably trying to figure out with this young man. You know, he had a pride problem. I make myself out to be self-sufficient, able to do things on my own, my own power. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You ever heard that phrase? That type of thinking God won't help those who are unwilling to do what he wants them to do. He isn't going to reward laziness. 
If I ask God, God for help finding a job, but I am unwilling to look for one, it is unlikely that he's going to just drop one on my lap. There's this concept we have, to, it's not just ourselves and it's not just God, but it's, we have to work in unison, in, 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 uh, we have to work uh, together with God. It works in a practical way as well as a spiritual way. If you think spiritual growth is just going to automatically happen without any effort on your part, then you're sadly mistaken, especially these, these people who have just begun their walk with the Lord. God isn't just going to impart on you all this wisdom and knowledge. You have to actually start learning. You have to actually start reading his word and finding out who God is and what he wants of us. All that takes some effort. He just isn't going to give you those things. If I expect God to just automatically remove my sin, just snap his fingers and make me more wise or patient and loving, then we have a wrong understanding of what it is that we're saying here. If I want to be a better Christian, I need to change some things and put some things into practice. You can't keep in step with the Spirit if you won't move your feet. So it's not just God helps those who help themselves. It's God wants to help those who are willing to walk in step and together with Him. That's how it works. Is that understood, number two? Might be a little bit confusing. We can talk about that later if you have questions. Number three, God won't give you more than you can handle. I've said this a lot. Have you ever said that or thought that? Where do you think we get that idea from? You might think that this is a Bible verse, but it's actually not a Bible verse. This particular concept is not found in the Bible. It's a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 10.13. Do you know that verse? No temptation has overtaken me, but such as common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It says, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also pro provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God is faithful. We can be sure of that. No matter how strong the temptation, no matter how strong the temptation to sin, we always have an escape. We always have a way out. That's what that verse means. It doesn't mean that God won't give you more than you can handle. It just means he will provide a way of escape. Satan wants to convince us that there isn't a way out, but there always is. He wants to convince us that there's no rescue possible, just to give in, give over, get over it, he wants to take the fight right out of us and convince us that there's no way to victory, but God has a different plan. He's always, he will always show us that there's a way out if we're willing to look for it. It's encouraging to know that through Christ, I have the power over Satan's tricks and his temptations. I simply need to utilize that power. I need to rely on God, His Holy Spirit working in us to resist that temptation. One reason why the statement God will not give you more than you can handle is incorrect. It's because God will give you more than you can handle. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. Why do you think God will give you more than you can handle? It should be fairly easy to figure that out. But, 
because he wants you to rely on him, right? Those kinds of issues, those kinds of things that come into your life that you think, I could never handle this. It's too much. God's going, yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I want. Because now they'll look to me. Cast all your cares on him. Over and over in the scripture, there's these, this idea that he is there to help you through this life. That when things get really tough and overwhelming, that you rely on him. The problem is, we oftentimes think that God won't give us more than we can handle. And so when we do have things that we can't handle, guess what we do? We blame God and we say, God, you must not even be up there. You're giving me too much. I can't handle this. So it's actually the exact opposite of what we really think and we believe. This kind of goes along with the God helps those who help themselves. We can't help ourselves. We need God. Likewise, we can't handle difficult situations correctly without God. I believe that we can't get through really difficult stuff without God helping us through those things. Part of the reason we feel overwhelmed, stressed, anxious when we face difficulties is because we're trying to handle it on our own. One of the reasons these situations are allowed to invade our lives is to show us how much we need him. The proper way to phrase it is God will not give you more than you can handle with him. That's the difference of that phrase. God knows your limitations, so we can trust that he will be there to fill the gap. God brings you to it. He will bring you through it. Just heard that phrase before. So that's number three. Number four, God just wants me to be happy. Really? Is that really an understanding of Scripture? Is that anywhere in the Scripture? We might think it is because of Ecclesiastes 3.12. It says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do well while they live. But the important thing to consider is having a proper understanding of what true happiness is. God is okay with you being happy. I think he wants you to have happiness in your life. God isn't concerned about my happiness if my happiness is found in anything other than him, though. And so Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, chasing after the wind. We see that God gives happiness to the one who pleases him, to the, the one who's in relationship, who's in connection with him, that we experience happiness because we are with him. And we see that happening all the time. But are people truly happy if they don't know God? That's a question for you to think about. If I'm only happy when I receive money or material things, then I've missed the boat on having true happiness. That's not the kind of happiness God wants for me. My happiness is not a concern to God if there's a lesson I need to learn. In other words, if God's trying to teach you something and your happiness is getting in the way, 
you might experience some times of stress and anxiety. You ever think about that? I do. Sometimes you experience stress or anxiety for a myriad of reasons, but sometimes I believe God uses those times to try and teach us something that's really, really needed in our life. And I think we miss it oftentimes because we're so focused on the, the things that are stressing us out, the things that are giving us that anxiety. We find this really in the story of Jonah. Um, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, talks about how Jonah, remember God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, an ungodly city, to tell them that they need to repent and find their way back to God. And Jonah said, nope, don't like those people. Not going to go talk to them. So he started going the opposite direction. Uh, before you knew it, he was swallowed by big fish. The fish turned the direction and went and spat him out on the coast of where he was supposed to be in the first place. And he gets out and he goes, oh, no. I better do what God told me to do. So he did the bare minimum. He went into the city and he said, repent, you guys. You need to find God and walked away. Guess what happened? They all repented. The whole city experienced a revival basically from one phrase that Jonah said. And Jonah was so angry. Why was he angry? Because he put up the bare minimum and God blessed it anyway. But here's all these people, right? All these people that found their way back to God, these people that Jonah didn't like in the first place, and he was upset. He was angry with God. So he went and he set up camp outside the city and he started pouting and sulking. And he was upset. He was really, really upset. Um, was God's purpose to make Jonah happy? Was it his goal to make Jonah happy? No. That's what Jonah thought. Why are you asking me to do this? You know this is going to make me angry. Well, God's purpose was something, something different. Not to keep him happy. Matter of fact, he illustrated that by that little plant thing. If he, he sets out, uh, he sets out on the in his camp. Uh, the hot sun is beating down on him, and God caused a, a a little plant, a tree, to grow up and give him shade. And Jonah starts feeling what relief, and he starts feeling a little bit of happiness, a little bit of joy. Oh, God must really still care for me. He's sitting there enjoying the shade, and what happens to the little plant? A worm comes along, eats the stalk, and the plant withers, and Jonah again is unhappy. So what's, what's God trying to show him? That my purpose isn't for your happiness. My purpose is to make sure that the most people possible come to know who I am. And you're a part of that. You should be happy, he's saying. You should be happy because... I'm accomplishing a wonderful thing, and you're involved in it, and here you sit, and all you can do is complain about being hot. I don't want to step on toes, but we are exactly the same way with the way that we treat God sometimes. God, please do this for me. you got to do this for me. We think that's what God wants, but maybe God wants something completely different, 
and we're not on the same page with him and we're just getting angry and pouting and getting upset about stuff and God's saying you whiny little baby Jonah I'm sure that's what he was saying to Jonah and and I think that's sometimes the way we are with God we want him to to be our to do everything we want him to do because we supposedly had this wonderful vision of what everything should be like and yet he he actually knows what he wants and he's asking us just to be a small part of it I'm asking you yeah there's gonna be times where your happiness takes a second place to what God really wants in this world so don't be upset maybe we need to start looking at it a different way with a different viewpoint happiness is tied to feelings and emotions that are based on circumstances and every time we start basing our emotions on circumstances we live this life of what these giant swings oh my circumstances aren't the best they're not what I really want so my emotions and everything come way down okay then when my circumstances are what I really want then our emotions get way up if that's the way we're living our lives we need to refocus and relook at things and, and see things differently we are not basing our joy and our happiness based on circumstances happiness is found in God and knowing that he is accomplishing things in this world that's true happiness God does want me to be happy when my happiness is dependent and found in him he does want us to enjoy life he wants to uh, us to enjoy the blessing he gives us but only with the right perspective and the right vision seeing it in the right way shouldn't be on my happiness our focus shouldn't be on our happiness it should be praising and worshiping and glorifying God for his love and his generosity his grace and his mercy that's a hard one all right you ready for number five lastly we're all God's children we are all God's creation but not all of us are God's children it's nice to think that we are since we can conclude that if I am his child I'm going to go to heaven which would be true but the misconception would be on how one becomes a child of God being a child of God is not an automatic thing we were all created by God but in order to become a child of God we need to be born again it says in the Bible there needs to be a process by which we are born again so not everybody is a child of God we are all created by him but not everybody is his child John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 says yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become what children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will but born of God when we receive Christ when we believe in him when we're baptized we repent when we identify our our path to be going towards him and believing in him that means we are one of his children but if we haven't done those things if we're not on that path then we aren't his children we're his creation created in his image for wonderful things Jesus said later in chapter 
3, that flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. This happens when we put our faith in Jesus and put on Christ in baptism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. God created everyone and he loves everyone, but not everybody is his child. That is a special privilege reserved for those who would accept him, honor him, love him, believe in him as their Savior and Lord. Now that's a biggie. Because more and more in our society and our culture, we have this idea that everybody's God's child and everybody's going to heaven. That's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. And so... If that's not the case, then we better get busy because there's people in our lives that haven't put on Christ. There are people in our lives who haven't, haven't believed in Jesus, who aren't following him. And so that means we have a responsibility to, to share with them. That's why when Jesus left this earth, what did he say? Goodbye, I'll see everyone later because we're all going to be meeting in heaven again someday. Is that what he said? What did he say? I want you to go into all the world. I want you to tell them about me. I want you to, to preach to them. I want you to teach them. I want you to baptize them. I want everyone to know about me so that they can come to me. And then everyone can come and be with us in heaven. Sometimes we skip over that part and we get to the everybody in heaven part. <laughs> and we miss out on how people actually get there, how people actually believe in him and put Christ on and, and clothe themselves with Jesus. There are statements we have, we've heard along the way, and we think they come from the Word of God, but they don't. This is the misunderstanding. This is the misconception. There might be an element of truth to the things that we've talked about, but we have to clarify what those things mean. The origins behind the statements, not only for your own benefit, for, but for the benefit of others, as you share what the Word of God says. Because we don't want you to go out there and share stuff about the Word of God that's just not true. It just creates more misunderstanding and more misconception. And we don't want that. We want for you guys to be knowledgeable about the truth. And that's why we have this series um, that's helping us all learn some things. So we have to understand the truth about these statements and those like them. And it's important for us to know what is in the Bible. And it's also important for us to know what's not in the Bible uh, because there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. Um, it's pretty simple if we just take the time to read and understand. Um, and we've been doing that over the last few weeks. So I appreciate your, your patience as we've gone through some of those things. Some of those things are hard to hear because we've, we've spent our life uh, – thinking that the Bible says these things and, and maybe it, uh, thinking that it's teaching us this, these concepts when it's really not. So we need to really uh, look at those things yourself. So if there's things that you're confused about, some misunderstandings that you need clarification on, I'm happy to have discussions about those things because I think that's what helps us all learn. It helps us all grow. So appreciate your time and patience this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to have... I think we're having Thanksgiving today, um, a taste of Thanksgiving. 
So Lynn made some pumpkin cheesecake bars. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So uh, probably first in best dressed. I don't know if you'll have to cut them up in little things. Uh, but we've been celebrating Thanksgiving this week at the schools that I've been working at. And it's been really fun uh, just to be thankful for how God works in our lives. So continue to do that as we uh, fellowship. Hey, God, thank you for today and thank you for your scripture. Thank you for, um, yeah, just enabling us to have a little bit of time where we, we look at the true meaning behind some of the statements that are in the Bible and some that aren't. And so we would thank you to that you've created us with brains uh, that we can actually think through these processes and, and really learn uh, what you would have us to learn. So uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, go with us this week, guide and direct us. Help us to have some time to connect with each other and with you. Um, help us not to be so overwhelmed and focused on uh, the tidal waves of this life that we forget just how important it is to foster our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.